I don't know if you've uh, remember where you've come from before you met Jesus. And I just think about the, the solemnity in that song of not being ashamed of the gospel. And I think to myself, do we really understand the gospel? Uh, and who we are. And tonight we're going to study the angel of the covenant. The identity crisis. And hopefully you don't believe anything I say. And I hope you brought pen and paper. Uh, we're going to treat this more like a class than me trying to preach per se. But I want you to take notes and study because we're living in the final moments of earth's history and every point that we believe we think we know we're going to be tested on the great controversy tells us none but those who have fortified the minds with the truths of the bible will be able to stand through the last great conflict and that word none means none that word none means none if you have not fortified your mind surrounded your mind with a wall of scriptures to be able to stand in these last few moments of our history, we're going to be tested. And we're not going to be tested as whole, in, whole families. Individual, personal, one by one, we're going to be tested on what we think we know. Did you hear what I said? What we think we know. And so we're going to ask God to help us as we study together that he give us wisdom that is beyond our years. Is that okay? If you don't mind, one more time, let's go to our knees and ask God for help. Oh, Father in heaven, you've heard our prayer. And Father, we ask even one thing greater still, that you give us the gift of your Holy Spirit, which is the only effectual teacher of truth. We pray this in the name of Jesus and claim the merits of his blood. Amen. I want you to read this letter with me. You don't have to read it out loud, but I'm going to read it to you. And this man, I believe, I was told that he comes from this area. This is an ex-Seventh-day Adventist minister. And he writes, I can no longer agree to preach or teach the doctrines of the Seventh-day Adventist church or through my silence imply that I agree with them. But... Allow me to be plain and specific because I have been a student of the word and have been sensitive to the Lord's leading and teaching. I no longer believe that scripture supports the following. The mission of the church, three angels' messages. The SCA church is the remnant church, fundamental belief number 13. I don't believe the investigative judgment or the pre-advent judgment, fundamental belief number 24, Ellen G. White, as a messenger of God, don't believe that, fundamental belief number 18. The Sabbath is the seal of God, don't believe that. And lastly there, the great controversy worldview, fundamental belief number 8, doesn't believe that either. And then it says, although not exhaustive, the above list represents ample reasons for me to tender my resignation. I will minister with integrity. I trust that my work performance in Christian leadership has been indicative of, the, of that work which the Holy Spirit has birthed in my life. I hope you will not ask me to defend my decision to follow Christ and him alone and trust him to completely to be the way, the truth, and the life. That's a, that's a sensitive letter, isn't that right? This man was taking tithe money from the Seventh-day Adventist church. Standing in the pulpit, you know, you didn't wake up one day and say, oh, 
I don't believe in this anymore. He had been thinking and marinating and thinking and marinating, going through his Bible and saying, you know, I don't believe that. And I'm quite sure he stood in the Advent pulpits and preached every Sabbath and probably wasn't any power to his messages. I want you to understand something. This is not the only time that this has happened. There are men in our pulpits today who do not believe the Seventh-day Adventist Church is the remnant church of Bible prophecy. And many of us people who think they know, they think that we are the remnant. If you say you're the remnant, you should be able to show it from the Bible. You should understand what it means to be the remnant, the Seventh-day Advent people. If you do not know that you are Seventh-day Adventists, maybe you should re-examine your position. We're going to study tonight. Is that okay? Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 10. We're going to go point by point, piece by piece, and we're studying, so it might take longer than a sermon would. We're beginning in Revelation chapter 10, and we're beginning at verse number 1. When you have your Bibles open to that, please say amen. amen. Revelation 10 and verse 1, the Bible says, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet were as pillars of fire. We're going to break this down piece by piece. What does it mean that this angel is clothed in a cloud and a rainbow is about his head? Genesis 9, 13 through 16, I'm going to put this on the screen, these verses, because these verses I want you to compare and see what I see when I study. Notice this, in Genesis 9, 13, it says, I do set my bow in the what? In the cloud, and it shall be for token of a what? Of a covenant between me and the earth. Notice verse 14. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the what? Interesting. The bow in the cloud. Notice verse 15. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud. And I will look upon it that I may remember the what? Everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. It seems to me very simple that a bow in a cloud equals covenant. Do you see that there? Did I make that up? The bow and the cloud together equals an everlasting covenant. It's going to be a quiz, so make sure you're taking notes. Who is the covenant between? God and his creation. Do you see that? The bow and the cloud together equals a covenant, and it's a covenant between God and his creation. Open your Bibles to Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 1, and we're looking at verse 28. Ezekiel chapter 1, and we're looking at verse 28. And when you have it, say amen. Ezekiel 1, 28, the Bible says, As the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud... In the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of who? Mm. So the bow and the cloud together symbolizes the covenant, but now in this verse it symbolizes this is the glory of who? So in this covenant that God makes with his creation, this is his glory that's seen. 
Are you following the idea? The bow in the cloud, the covenant, the everlasting covenant, the glory, the person, the character of God is seen here. But let's go a little further. What does it mean to be in a cloud? So let's go a little further. Exodus 13, 21. Notice what this says here. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of what? In a pillar of cloud to lead them by the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to, do, to go by day and night. And it came to pass as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel that they looked toward the wilderness and behold the glory of the Lord appeared in the what? And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever and ever. And Moses told the words of the Lord to the people. So here, the cloud, who comes in the cloud according to the verses that we just read? Speak to me. Who comes in the cloud? The Lord. Now I'm going to show you three more verses. And everywhere else in scripture, only God comes in the cloud. Nowhere else in scripture do you see another angel, another person, only God comes in a cloud. Notice what the Bible says, Leviticus 16, 2. And the Lord said unto Moses, speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he may come not at all times into the holy place within the veil, before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not, for I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. And he shall... Put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he may not die. And the Lord came down in the pillar of a what? I think you get the point. That's six verses. And if you look up every verse, go through your whole Bible. Type in cloud, eastward, boom, all of them. Only God comes in a cloud. All right? So let's do a quick review before I go further. What does a cloud and a rainbow together equate to? A covenant, and this covenant is the glory of God, and only God comes in the cloud. Notice here, Deuteronomy 5.22. These words the Lord spake unto all your assembly in the mount of the, in the mount out of the midst of the fire of the cloud and of the thick darkness with a great voice, and he added no more, and he wrote them in two tables of stone and delivered them unto me. 1 Kings 8.10, and it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. So the glory of the Lord fills the house. The glory of the Lord is seen in this cloud and you'll see that the cloud and the fire are equated in the verse in verse Deuteronomy 5.22, the midst of the fire of the cloud. They're equated. All right? All right? Let's go a little further. We're building the case here. You think I'm going softly on you. I'm not. Revelation. Go back to Revelation 10 for a moment. Revelation 10. And notice again in verse 1. It says, I saw another angel come down from heaven clothed with a cloud. Remember, only divinity comes in a cloud. So this angel can't be a regular angel. Are you following what I'm saying? This angel is a covenant-keeping angel because he comes in a cloud and a rainbow. Now we see that his face is, as it were, the sun. You have your Bibles. Turn to Psalm 72, verse 17. Psalm 72 and verse 17. When you have it, say amen. All right, everyone's honest. They're not there yet. Praise the Lord. Some people say amen before they even have it. Psalm 72 And we're looking at verse 17. Notice what the Bible says. It says, his name shall endure forever. 
his name shall be continued as long as the what? So his name is going to continue as long as the sun. God's name is enduring as long as the sun. And men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. That's an interesting point. Keep going. Psalms 84 verse 11. Notice what it says there in Psalms 84 and verse 11. Remember, his name is is as enduring as the sun. Psalms 84 and verse 11. Notice what the Bible says. For the Lord God is a sun and what? The Lord will give grace and glory. Sun and shield, grace and glory are equated. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. So God is a sun to his people. He is as enduring as the sun. How many of you were here when the sun was first created? You know, when you, if you die, if Jesus doesn't come, you know, the sun will keep burning on. Is that right? It's enduring. It's going to keep going. For, it's as enduring as God's name. Go to 89. Psalms 89, the division of Psalms 89, and we're looking at verse 36. Psalms 89, and look at verse 36. Notice what the Bible says. You have it, say amen? amen. 36 says, His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. His seed shall endure how long? And his throne as his seed before me. Now, what is this talking about? Why am I using these verses highlighting the face of a son? In fact, go with me now to Exodus chapter 32. I want to go to Exodus 32. You'll see why in a moment. But the son is enduring and as God is enduring. Exodus chapter 32. Exodus 34. Now pay attention to the story, friends. We're laying a foundation. We're trying to identify who we are as a remnant. Is that right? In Exodus chapter 34, and we're looking at verse number 29. And you're probably very familiar with this. In fact, look at verse 27, just a little bit of context. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Write thou these words. For after the tenor of these words have I made a what? Isn't that interesting? Have I made a covenant with thee and with Israel? And he was there with the Lord 40, 40 days and 40 nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water. And he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Is that right? Do you see that? Now keep your finger right here. Go to Exodus 32, please. Exodus 32. I hope you're taking notes. Exodus 32. Look at verse 15. Exodus 32 and verse 15. The Bible says Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hand. The tables were written on both their sides. On the one side and on the other were they written. And the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, graven upon the tables. So question, please make this note in your mind or on your paper. How many sides were the tables written on? Both sides. We're building. Look at verse 29 of chapter 34. Back to chapter 34. Moses goes into the presence of God, and he's going to come down, and notice what happens to Moses' face. Okay, watch carefully. It says, and it came to pass when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai. What, what direction did he come from? 
He came down, is that right? He came down from the Mount Sinai with two tables of testimony in Moses' hand. When he had came down from the Mount, that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh to him. Question, what's happening with Moses? It's going. His face is on fire. Where was he in order for his face to be going like this? Now listen, you think we're talking about Moses. We're talking about the remnant. Moses was in the presence of God, and as he's in the presence of God, somehow he begins to reflect the light that he's been in the presence of. But Moses is not caught up in what he looks like. Because when he leaves the presence of God, the glory of God is so... Listen, I don't know if you've ever been in the presence of God before. I'm not sure if you've ever just been in the presence and you knew God was in the room. But if you've been in that situation, you're not really concerned about how you look per se. In fact, if you go to Isaiah chapter 6, go to Isaiah 6 with me. Keep your finger in Exodus 34, but go to Isaiah 6. I want you to see something. What happens to a person when they're in the presence, the presence of God? Isaiah 6. Notice what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 6. And look in verse 1. It says, In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did what? Now watch what he does. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his what? Now think about this. God is so holy that the angels cover their face. Angels that have never sinned. Angels that have never violated God's law. Angels that have never rebelled. These angels cover their face in the presence of God. This is what it means to be in the presence of God. And when, when, I, when, when he sees this, when Isaiah sees this, notice his response to seeing God's glory. Notice what it says there in verse number 5. Then said I, woe is me, for I am what? I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of... I want you to understand something. Moses goes into the presence of God. The glory is awesome. He's enamored with God's glory. When he walks out of there, he doesn't know his face is lit up. He doesn't know he's glowing, but the people know. And the people see it, and what is the response of the people? Go back to Exodus 34. Go, go back there with me. Watch the, watch the response of the people. Exodus chapter 34. Exodus 34. Notice what it says here in Exodus 34. In verse... Number 31, it says, And Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned unto him, and Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the children of Israel came nigh, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord has spoken with him in the mount. Until Moses had done speaking with them, he put a what? He put a veil on his face. But when Moses went out before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out. And he came out and spake unto the children of Israel that which he was commanded. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. And Moses put the veil upon his face again until he could speak with them. Now let me ask you this question. Why is it 
that mankind can't stand God's presence. Now, you, you're, you're, very, you're very astute. You remember the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis, remember they ate the fruit? And God comes like he normally would in the cool of the day, like he normally would. And he begins to walk amongst his children. And as he's walking, what did Adam and Eve do? Why did they hide? What happened? Did God change his, his posture towards them? When they ate the fruit, did he all of a sudden have lightning bolts and start throwing it at them? What happened? What, what caused them to now go in another direction? Sin. The most basic fundamental idea, sin. Sin, rebellion, breaking God's commandments, the transgression of God's law. Let's think about this in reality. I remember I used to work at Burger King when I didn't know any better. <laughs> and as I was working there at Burger King, I, I was doing a good job. My, my parents taught me how to work. So I would do my job well. I put the burgers on the grill pink, they came out brown. You follow? Well, some of my friends would accidentally drop the burgers on the ground. And they would pick their burgers up and they'll put it back on the grill, put it in the sandwiches and give it to the people. I wouldn't do that. I would put that burger on the thing, do my job well, sweep real good, clean the bathroom well. And they gave me a three cent raise in two weeks. You know, when you got a raise back, back in those times when I worked there, they gave you a pin and they put it on your hat. So my, little fr- my friends at the job, who weren't really my friends, began to get mad at me. Why did they get mad at me? Because this little goody two-shoes was doing the right thing and they were doing the... So they rather get rid of the person that's doing the right thing instead of change their behavior, they'll get rid of the one that's doing the... Oh, interesting. Go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 20. We're building, friends. Hebrews 10 and verse 20, notice what the Bible says here. In Hebrews chapter 10, look at verse 20. You have a say amen? Hebrews 10 and verse 20, it says, By a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the what? That is to say his what? Interesting, didn't Moses put a veil over his... But now Jesus is the embodiment of the glory and the person of God. And God veils himself in flesh so that sinful humanity wouldn't run. Are you listening to me? If Jesus had come in his glory, in his perfection, immediately humanity would have turned on him and seek to kill him right away. But notice, go to, go to John with me. Go to John. Go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, notice what the Bible says in John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the what? His life was the light. Interesting. His life was the light. His life was the light. Look at verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. So here, Jesus veils himself in flesh, and he lives a life that is completely, absolutely perfect. Go to John chapter 3. Notice what it says in John chapter 3. What did they want to do with him when they saw this? John chapter 3, look at verse, verse 16. Everyone knows this one. Let's say this verse together. For God so that he gave his, that whosoever should not what? But have what? 
Now watch this. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be what? He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten son. And this is the condemnation. Now watch. What's the condemnation? That light is come into the world and men love what? Rather than what? Please. Please don't think that we're talking about the world. I'm talking about you. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were what? I'd rather stay in the dark and keep doing what I do. I'd rather eat what I want to eat, go where I want to go, dress how I want to dress. Jesus, you can have this part of my life, but this part belongs to me. Men love darkness rather than light. They profess that they want Jesus, but in reality they don't. I read a most startling statement the other day from the Great Controversy where it talked about the papacy, but I knew the principle applied to God's people. Where it said that they wanted a method, they wanted a method that would pass as a way of remembering God, which was really a method as a, a method of not remembering Him. In other words, they have a Christian form, Christian fashion, preaching, teaching, talking about Jesus coming, but in reality, it's only a once a week thing. Did you hear what I said? In reality, it wasn't an everyday, I'm focused on one thing and one thing only. Jesus is in the most holy place, and I must find my way into his presence so that I can be more like him. But that's not the focus. The focus is, oh, it's Friday again. I've got to go to church. Sunset's coming soon. When are we going to go eat somewhere? When are we going to go hang out? What's the next show coming on? When are we go play basketball? It's not about God. And God is looking for people, and I'm going to show you, God is looking for people where he's going to enter into a covenant, where he's going to follow, and they're going to fall in love with him, and they're going to abide in his presence, and nothing else will matter to them. He's looking for people like this. He has yet to find them. Tell, I tell you the truth. He has yet to find the people that will enter into the most holy place and stay there. Go with me to our next verse, Matthew 17. Matthew 17, let's go quickly, our time is fleeting. Matthew 17, looking at verses 1 and 2. Matthew 17, verse 1 and 2, notes what the Bible says. And it says, after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high what? Isn't that interesting? Remember the angel comes down from heaven? Moses came down from the mountain. Jesus is now going up into what? A mountain. And was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the what? And his raiment was as white as the light. Interesting. It seems to me that this angel in Revelation chapter 10 is no ordinary angel. Go to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Look at verse 12. Revelation chapter 1, we're looking at verse 12. And notice here what the Bible says in Revelation 1 in verse 12. The Bible says, and I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girded about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. His feet 
like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, his voice as the sound of what? And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went forth a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shine of how? Interesting. The sun, his face is shining at the sun. Now I'm going to put uh, this other point on the board so we can make a comparison here in a moment. What were the feet like according to this verse? Feet like brass, is that right? As if burned in a furnace. We're going to come back to this, okay? Go to Revelation now. Revelation uh, chapter 10. Go back to Revelation 10. Revelation 10. Notice carefully now the last part of the verse. It says, And his face was as it were the sun, and his feet were as pillars of what? What were his feet like? Pillars of fire. Isn't that different from what we saw in Revelation chapter 1? What were his feet like in Revelation 1? They were like what? They were like brass. So his feet are like pillars of fire here, and this other one's like brass. There's a reason why the imagery changes in the book of Revelation. Pay attention. Whenever the book of Revelation changes imagery, that means it's changing, it's changing an aspect that you need to focus on. So his feet are like pillars of fire here, and his feet are like brass there. Let me ask first and foremost, why brass? Talk to me a little bit. Why brass? Why, why were his feet as if they were burning in, like, in brass? Fire. Anybody have any ideas? The sanctuary. Everybody knows about the sanctuary? They have the outer court, the holy place, and the most holy place. Is that right? In the outer court, you had that altar of sacrifice. What was the altar of sacrifice made out of? It's made out of brass. The labor made out of brass. Mirrors is made out of brass. And what happens on the altar of sacrifice? Sacrifice. Amen. Sacrifice happens on the altar of sacrifice. And it shows the, the burning like fire on, uh, on pillars, feet like brass, shows the walk of sacrifice. It's showing Jesus going to Calvary for man's sins. Are you following the idea? That's what it's for. That's what it's showing that for. His feet like brass. He's gone through a time of affliction. He's gone through a time of sacrifice. But now why pillars of fire? Go to Exodus chapter 13. And I'm going to read the verses. We're going to read the verses. When we're done reading all four verses, you're going to give me the answer as a congregation. All right? Exodus chapter 13. And we're looking at verse number 21. You have it? Say amen. Now it's going to be, you're going to get, you are going to give me the, I'm not going to give you the answer. Okay? You're going to tell me why pillars of fire. Notice what it says in Exodus chapter 13, beginning at verse 21. We have it. You have it. Say amen. It says the Lord went before them by day in the pillar of cloud to lead them by the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. All right. Everybody's clear. You read that verse. Everybody's good. Exodus chapter 14. Look at verse 24. It says, and it came to pass that in the morning. Watch, the Lord looked upon the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians. All right, Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. You have it? Say amen. 
Numbers 14, 14, it says, And they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land, for they have heard that our Lord are among this people, that thou, Lord, art seen face to face, and that thy cloud standeth over them, and that thou goest before them by day time in a pillar of cloud and in a pillar of fire by night. I hope you guys are getting it. Everybody's, we've got one more verse to go. And I'm going to ask you, and you're going to give me the answer. Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9, we're looking at verse number 12. Notice what the Bible says in Nehemiah 9 and verse 12. It says, Moreover, thou lettest them in the day by a cloudy pillar, and in the night by a pillar of fire, to give them light in the way wherein they should go. 19. Yet thou in thy manifold mercies forsookest them not in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud departed not from them by day to lead them in the way, neither the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way wherein they should go. Question. You guys are all Bible scholars. You read all these verses. You should have the answer. If you don't, you're going to be in trouble. Why the pillar of fire? To, to Say it louder. To lead them, beloved, by night. Are you following? So go back to Revelation 10 now. Go back to Revelation 10. We're, we're just piece by piece taking this angel. We're understanding who this angel is. Revelation 10. Notice, the angel came down from heaven, clothed with a cloud and a rainbow. Cloud and a rainbow together equal what? A covenant. Who, who only comes in a cloud? Only God, only divinity comes in a cloud. And according to the, 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 the face shining as the sun, who, who was, who, what two symbols, let me say that, what two persons did we show, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament, whose face shone like the sun? Moses and who else? And Jesus. All right, Moses and Jesus, face shining like the sun. Then we say the feet like pillars of fire, showing that God is what to his people? He's leading his people. All right, let's go a little further. You guys are doing pretty good. Not doing too bad at all. Notice here, again, moreover, in a pillar of cloud, thou lettest them by day, and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light in the way therein they should go. All right, let's go to our next one. What is this little book in his hand? Now, we may or may not answer this question tonight. You might have to come back tomorrow morning and figure out this little book. But what's this little book in the hand? In fact, let's do, a little, let's do a little something. I want to put this on the board right now. You have your Bible. Open to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation 1. And I need you to read back. We're in class right now. Is that okay? Revelation chapter 1. I want you to start at verse 1. We're going to read the first three verses. All right? Revelation 1. We're reading the first three verses. And I want you to read it together. King James Version. Read it out loud on your mark. Get set. Go. All right, pause for a moment. So the revelation of Jesus Christ, who gave it to him? Are you sure? All right, so I'm going to put this order on the board so you'll, you'll see it. So God gives it to who? Jesus. Let's keep reading. 
It says in verse 2, who bear record of the word of God, or signified by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus and all things that he saw. Look at verse 4. And John to the seven what? So from God to Jesus, Jesus to the angel, because he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant. All right. So you have the angel and then to John and then to the seven churches. Everybody follow that? All right. Open your Bibles to Revelation four now. Revelation, Revelation four. We start at verse 11. It says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. I hope everybody said, huh? Everybody said, huh? What, what, what happened in your mind? What did, you, what did your mind go to? That's right. Your mind went to the Ten Commandments. This book in his hand has to do with the covenant. And now this, this person in the throne has this book in his hand. And notice what it says in verse number two. And I saw a strong angel proclaim with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to even what? That must have been some book. That no one can even look at it. That they went to heaven and no one in heaven can open it. They went to earth and nobody can look to look on earth. And they went into the ground and in the grave. Did anybody die who was worthy to open this book? And nobody can open this book. What's in this book? What is this book that this, this, this being and this God has on the throne? Notice what it says in verse number four. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open And to read the book, neither to look thereon, and one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals. Who's this talking about? That's Jesus. Oh, wonderful name. Isn't that right? Jesus has prevailed to open the book. And notice what it says in verse 6. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb. As it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, which go forth to the God of all the earth, to all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat where? Wait a second. So who's in the throne? God is in the throne. Is that right? So God has a book in his hand and Jesus comes and takes the book out of his hand. Are you following The next time you see a book is this book in Revelation chapter 10. And the next time you see the imagery, the imagery is of an angel. Are you listening to me? Notice the pattern. The book of Revelation starts out, says God gave it to Jesus. Jesus gave it to the angel. The angel gave it to John and John gave it to who? But now we see in the context of the book of Revelation itself, you see God has a book. Jesus takes it out of his hand. Jesus takes the form of an angel, and now he's about to give it to, are you following? Are you following? I hope, I hope you're learning something. Notice, go back to Revelation 10 now. Let 
Now, there's a reason why we're going step by step like this. Do you understand that if we can find out who we are as a people, you're a Seventh-day Adventist. You're not, you're not a Methodist. And I'm not saying that arrogantly. You're a Seventh-day Adventist. You're not a Baptist. You're a Seventh-day Adventist. You're not Episcopalian. You're a Seventh-day Adventist. You're not a Catholic. You're a Seventh-day When I was little, my dad said, Andre, he said, Andre, when you go to school, I want you to write your name on your paper. And I will go to school and I will write my name. I will write Andre. And then my dad got my paper back and said, boy, that's not your name. You know what your name is? Your name is Andre Chacondi Waller. What's the big deal, Dad? Just, my name is Andre. No, your name is Andre Chacondi Waller. What does that mean? It means man of love with a standard. You see, if I just Andre, then I'm just a man. But there's something to being a Seventh-day Adventist. See, when you have the name Waller, my dad told me, when you have the name Waller, that means you behave yourself a certain way in school. You'll follow what I'm saying. You can't just go in class and do anything you want to do in class. You have to perform the way the Wallers would perform in class. That means straight A's, Brother Andre. (laughs) By God's grace, we can live up to that name. Is that right? But you can't live up to a name if you don't know who you are. I'm constantly trying to bite off this church and do this church and invite this, this ecumenical movement guy here. And this, we're confused. We don't know who we are. We're just off in the wind. We just think we can do anything. No, no. We are Seventh-day Adventists. And when you see what this means to us, it will change how you behave altogether. It will change the benefits that you have as a people, who you are, what this means to God, how closely he has you connected with himself. This is a covenant-keeping angel. Only divinity comes down. He is leading his movement in these final hours of earth's history. And notice what he has a little book in his hand. And this this is no ordinary book. This book comes directly from the throne of heaven. Let's go a little further. Let's look at his foot is on the land and sea. You remember his foot is on the land and sea? We're going to look at a couple of verses, not too many of them. Let's look at just a couple of them. Deuteronomy 11, 20, uh, 24. Deuteronomy eleven twenty four. We have so much to cover, and I just don't want to belabor the points here. Deuteronomy eleven twenty four and 25. You have a say amen? It says in Deuteronomy eleven twenty four and 25, every place... Whereon the soles of your feet shall tread shall be yours. From the wilderness of Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, even unto the uttermost sea shall your host be. There shall no man be able to stand before you. For the Lord your God shall lay the fear of you and the dread of you upon all the land that thou shalt tread upon as he hath said unto you. Go to Joshua. Joshua 1. Every place where your foot shall go is yours. That's the territory. It belongs to God. Joshua 1 in verse 3. Joshua 1 in verse 3. Notice what the Bible says. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that shall I give unto you as I said unto who? Now, I'm going to show you something, and you must understand this principle, because who we are is based on pain. Um, any, anybody ever been pregnant in here? None of the brothers can raise your hand. All right? You've been pregnant. 
the process of, you know, the child being there, you have the ups and downs. You're happy, then sometimes you're sad. The child get out of me by now. It's eight months, nine months in. Supposed to get out of the body. You know, there's these mixed emotions that come with being pregnant. But ultimately, in order to have a baby, there's that moment of pain right before the joy. Go to read Daniel chapter, chapter, chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. Watch carefully what we're doing. Please write the text down. We're studying right now. Daniel 7, look at verse 25. We're going to come back to this verse. We're going to revisit this verse in Daniel 7, 25. Notice what the Bible says. It says, he shall speak great words against the Most High. And shall wear out the saints of the Most High. And think to change times and laws. And they shall be given into his hand until a time Times and the dividing of time. This is the papal power persecuting, prosecuting, scattering the people of God. This is, this is a serious matter. Daniel 8, look at Daniel 8. Daniel 8, look at verse 24. Actually look at verse, actually look at verse number 13. Daniel 8, look at verse 13. It says, Then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint which spake, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden how? Sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's a bad thing. Go to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation 11. Look at verse 2. It says, but the court which is, which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot. How long? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Now, we saw good for God's people when they put their foot somewhere, everywhere their foot shall tread is theirs. Is that right? But we see now uh, an enemy power that has some of the same power here. They are treading down and prosecuting and persecuting the saints of God. That's a problem. All right? Keep this thought in mind. I want us to go back now to Revelation chapter 10. There's a trotting underfoot taking place. And I want you to notice where the angel's feet is. Where the angel's feet are. Notice here in verse number, was it number two? Then he had in his hand a little book open and he set his right foot upon the what? And his left foot upon the what? Now, Revelation chapter 13, you don't have to go there, but it says, And I saw a beast rise up out of the earth, having seven, I rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, upon his head the name blasphemy. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat of great authority. The beast comes out of the, the waters, the sea. Is that right? Revelation 13, 11 says, And I saw another beast come out of the earth, having two horns like a lamb. And he speaks how? Like Do you see he has two powers coming out of the same place where this angel has his feet? Do you see the controversy? There's a controversy. God says, I own the land and I own the sea. In fact, he lifts his hand to heaven and swears by him that live forever and ever that there should be time no longer. And you notice in Revelation chapter 12, the dragon is in the midst of the heavens. This power, this union that this world has is seeking to take out God. But God has a word for them. Notice what it says. I want you to look at, the, at verse number three. Look at verse number three and watch this. This blew my mind when I began to understand it. It says, and he cried with a loud voice as when a what? Now, this is deep. I'm going to tell you right now. This is deep. When a lion roars, 
you're going to see something that you've never seen before. Watch this. Notice what the Bible says in Isaiah 31.4. We're going to start in Isaiah 31.4. We're going to work our way to my favorite one right there in Amos. But it says, For thus hath the Lord spoken unto me, like as the what? And the young lion roaring on his what? When a multitude of shepherds is called forth against him, he will not be afraid of their voice, nor abase himself for the noise of them. So shall the Lord of hosts come down to fight for what? And for the heel thereof. Do you see what this verse is saying? That the Lord is coming down and he's roaring and he's saying, look, if you're against me, you better get out of my way. He's already shown himself dominant. He put his right foot upon the earth and his left foot upon the sea. And he's lifting up his voice and he's claiming territory and he's roaring. He says, you better stop messing with my kids. Go to, go to Hebrews. Is that what it is? Hosea. Go to Hosea. Go to Hosea. These texts are beautiful. Go to Hosea. Chapter 11. And looking at verse number 9. Watch carefully now. Hosea 11, looking at verse 9, it says, I will, ex- I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger. I will not return to destroy Ephraim, for I am God, and not man, the Holy One in the midst of thee, and I will not enter into the city. They shall walk after the Lord. He shall roar like a what? When he shall roar, then the children shall tremble from the west. They shall tremble as birds out of Egypt and as a dove out of the land of Assyria, and I will place them in their houses, saith the Lord, Ephraim compass me about with lies in the house of Israel with deceit, but Judah yet ruleth with God and is faithful with the saints. The Lord is going to roar. The wicked are going to be put in their proper place, but God's people will rule with him. This is a covenant keeping God. Only divinity comes down in the cloud. This angel is leading God's people. He is dominant. He's going to put things in the proper place. The question is, whose side are you on? That's why it's simple. Whose side are you on? Let's go to Amos because we've run out of time here. Joel, Amos. Go to Amos chapter 3. Watch this. In Amos chapter 3, looking at verse number 4. Amos 3 and verse 4. The Bible says, will a lion roar in the forest? When he hath no prey? Will a lion roar when he has no prey? The answer is no. The lion only roars when he knows he has a meal. Will a lion roar in the forest when he hath no prey? No. Will a young lion cry out of his den if he hath not taken nothing? The answer is no. Look at verse number 8. The lion hath roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God hath spoken... Who can but what? This is what you call a Hebrew parallelism. The lion roars, who's not going to fear? When God speaks, who cannot help but? So when a lion roars, who's speaking? Are you sure? We looked at several verses. When a lion roars, God is speaking. Go back to to Revelation 10. Watch carefully with me, friends. Why am I sharing this with you? You'll see in a moment. Revelation 10, look at what it says there. Verse verse number 3, And he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their what? Hmm. 
Amos told me just now that if a lion, if God speaks, someone must what? Prophesy. The lion roared, the thunders must be a prophecy. Notice the next part says, And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do what? Don't write this prophecy. Don't write it. There's a reason. I never understood it until two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Wrestling with the verse. I'm looking at the verse and I'm saying, why? What is this about? What is the intent of the writer? Why is it that the seven thunders don't utter their voice? Don't write it down. Who's, who's speaking? Notice. Notice here. I want to go to John chapter 12. Just so you can understand who the thunders are. And then we'll keep it moving. I didn't understand it before, but I, I, I understand it by God's grace today a little bit. Hopefully I get to share it with you. Notice what it says in verse 23. Jesus again is speaking. Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. He that hated his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this cause came I into the world. Father, glorify thy name. Now watch, he says, he's speaking to the Father. Father, glorify thy name. Then came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will do what? I will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it what? Others said an angel spake to him. Some heard thunder and other heard an angel. The seven thunders that are in their voices is God speaking. There's an utterance of prophecy and God has said, don't write this. Keep this a secret. All right, let's go a little further. My time is fleeting. I have eight minutes left. I want to read this to you. Manuscript, first manuscript, 99, paragraph 3. It says, the books of Daniel and Revelation are, are one. One is a prophecy, the other a revelation. One a book sealed, the other a book open. John heard the mysteries which the thunders uttered, but he was commanded not to write them. I wonder why. The special light given to John was expressed in the seven thunders was a delineation of events which would transpire under the what? First and what? Interesting. It was not best for the people to know these things for their faith, must necessarily be what? So here, here, my mind starts to think. I've seen people teach this before, right? And what they emphasize is these secret events that took place that parallel end-time events. Okay, I've seen this happen. Do you know what she's emphasizing right here? She's emphasizing the experience that they had under the first and second, third angel's message. It was an experience of disappointment, Notice what it says. It says, it was not best for the people to know these things, for their faith must necessarily, necessarily, necessarily be what? 
in the order of God, most wonderful and advanced truths would be proclaimed. The first and second angel's messages were to be proclaimed, but no further light was to be revealed before these messages had done their specific work. Can I ask you a question? You don't ask me right now, though. What is the specific work of the first angel? What is the specific work of the second angel? Because they were supposed to have an experience that correlated with the effect of the preaching. If they knew what was going to happen, they wouldn't have preached it. Did you hear what I said? Now watch this. I'm going to show you something. See if I can get it. This is my little chart I made up for myself. I made this myself, and these are all the little time prophecies. All the time prophecies that I could find in relation to Daniel Revelation. Um, don't have time to go through every one, but I want to emphasize one of them, or three of them, if it moves on. Yes, these three. You ever seen these before? All right. Why does the 1260-year prophecy start in 538? All right. Justinian in 533 passes a decree that says that the papacy has the ability to deal with heretics. But it doesn't go into effect until Belisarius removes the Ostrogoths out of the place where they were so Rome could do what they wanted to do. That's just a quick history. Make sure you do a check up on what I'm saying, all right? 538 to, to, to 1798, 1260 years. Go with me now to the book of Daniel, chapter 12. Go with me quickly now. I want to show you this before tomorrow. Look at the last few verses there. Are you in Daniel 12? All right. Hold your finger there. Go back to Revelation 10. Are you guys okay? Okay. Revelation 10. Notice what it says here in verse number 6 in Revelation 10. Verse number 6. Verse number 5. So look at verse number 5. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and swear by him that liveth forever and ever who created the heaven and the things that therein are and the earth and the things that therein are and the sea and the things that are therein that there should be time, what? Daniel 12 now. Back to Daniel 12. So you see an angel standing with his right foot and his left foot on land and sea. Look at Daniel 12 and look at verse number 6. Verse number 5. Then I, Daniel, looked and behold, there stood other two, the one on this side of the bank of the river and the other on that side of the bank of the river. And one said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, how long shall it be? To the end of these wonders. What's the question? All right. How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? The answer. And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he had held up his right hand and his left hand into heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, that it shall be for a what? Time and what? Times and what? And when he had accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be what? Now, do you see Daniel 12, 7 and Daniel 7, 25 are best friends. 
They're talking about the same time frame. They're talking about the papal power punishing and persecuting and prosecuting the people of God. Do you see that? Okay. Look at verse number 8. And I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, O my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? Now watch the answer. And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and what? Till the time of the end. So these words are sealed. What I've just told you, Daniel, is sealed. You won't understand it until the time of the end. How many of you know that we're in the time of the end right now? Okay, because sometimes we think the time of the end, we only think 1798, time of the end. And that's, we're punctiliary in our thinking. But the time of the end is 1798, and it's still going. We're still in that time. So that means we're still understanding. Are you following what I'm saying to you? We're still in the process of understanding what these are what's talking about. Notice, it says here, these are words are sealed up and, and uh, closed up and sealed to the time of the end. Now watch. This is, this is happening during the time of the end. Verse 10 is during the time of the end. Watch what it says. Many shall be what? And what? And what? And refined or tried. Now, this is important. So now we're talking about this, this time of the end, and these are things that are going to happen do, to the people during the time of the end. Now watch carefully. For the time, and from the time that the daily shall be taken away, and the abomination that make of desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. So you see that on the screen there? thousand two hundred and ninety days. The year is 508. The person that of interest, his name is Clovis. Clovis is uh, the king of the Franks, and he has united this, this area completely. All the secular powers, all the Aryan tribes are all under Clovis' power now, and he is a Catholic. He is converted from Arianism to being a Catholic, and he has committed himself to making sure that everybody is under the papacy's control. Are you following what I'm saying? He has committed himself to being the sword of the papacy. Now, when I say he's the king of the Franks, He's at, that's actually the king of the French. Listen to me. When I say the king of the French, it's actually the king of the what? And in 508, it's so ironic to me that, you know, in 1798, it was France took the Pope captive. Are you following the, the, the irony there? All right. So 508, Clovis is the king of the Franks. He's the king. He's brought everybody under his rulership and... He's converting everybody to Catholicism. He's, and if they don't convert, you know, he's slapping people up, cutting them up. All right? 508 to 1798 is 1,290 years. But look again now at that verse there in verse 12. Look at the verse. It says, Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. That one have been in my mind for at least, I want to say, 14 years. Didn't understand it until two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. 14 years now I've been in church. I just didn't understand this. I don't understand why this is here. And the reason why I didn't understand it is because the year ends. It ends in 1843. So my mind was like, so what is so blessed about 1843? I didn't understand it. But I want you to remember 
Look again at verse number 10 of Daniel 12. Look at verse 10. It says, many shall be purified and made white. And what? And what? And tried or refined. Watch this. Now, this is, this is 1844. And this is what I call the tearing time. We're going to think right now. This is, we're talking about being Adventists. Is that right? I'm not talking about being Episcopalian. I'm talking about being a Seventh-day Adventist, understanding who we are and why we are what we are and why we preach what we preach. So I'm looking at this and I'm saying, 1843, 1335, 1843. That, nothing happened there, at least in my opinion, right? Then the Lord starts sharing stuff with me. I'm going to share it with you. Let's see if I can find what I found. Maybe I'll put it on the screen. Blessed is he that comes to the 1335. All right. There it is. We'll go back. Go back one. Go to Psalms 105. Now watch, friends. I'm about to give you what the Lord gave me. And you might be like, man, that's nothing. But it's okay. It means a lot to me. It means a lot to me. Look at Psalms 105. And I'm showing you how I study. Okay? Psalms 105. Look at verse 17. Watch carefully. It says, He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a what? Now, who's Joseph? Talk to me a little bit. Who's Joseph? I'm sorry, who's Joseph? Jacob's son. What is Joseph known for? He's a dreamer. What did he dream about? When he was little, when he lay in this, and looking at the stars, and he had a dream about stars and everything bowing down to him. And then he had a dream about these sheaves and everything bowing down to him. He was dreaming that he's going to be a great man. Is that right? His whole family's going to be falling after him. Is that right? Well, look, look, look. It says there in verse number 18, verse, verse 17. He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold as a, for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in what? Until the what? Ooh, you're not listening. He, was, he had a dream. I'm going to be a great man. But can you imagine when he was thrown and taken captive? When he was thrown in prison? When they forgot about him down there? You can see that what he had been prophesied to have, it didn't come true. And notice how the Bible says, what was the benefit of this? Until the time that his, his word came, he was what? He was what? He was tried. He was tested. The word of the Lord tried him. He had a dream. I'm going to be a great man. This is what God wants from me. I'm going to, I'm in jail. I'm in prison. All these bad things are happening to me. He's being tried. Did God intend for that to happen? Absolutely. The trying of his character was in design. God designed it that way. Some of you are like, man, why is my life so messed up? God designed it that way. I'm serious about it. 
Why, why, did I, why, did I get, why, why did I get punched when I was little? Why did they abuse me when I was little? God allowed it. Why did he allow it? Because he knew that he can make you better and allow for his character to be seen in you best this way. He knew that he could break the love of sin. So some of us love sin. Listen, some of us love sin so much we don't care about what Jesus did on Calvary. Some of us think that sin is so powerful that we're going to be slaves for the rest of our lives to sin. Know you not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or what? Obedience unto righteousness. God allows the struggle to develop the character. Why, is, why, does, why does Eve have per- birth pains? Why does she have the birth pains? For her sake. Why does Adam and Eve, why does Adam have to till the ground and, and hoe weeds? For the sake of man. Why is Satan's existence still continue? Desire of Ages 761, paragraph 4. For the sake of man. The trials are designed to remove the love of this world. Amen. That's why I didn't understand. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the 13 and 35. Wait, we're not done yet. Go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. It's time for me to stop. James chapter 1. Look, look carefully now. James chapter 1, look at verse 2. Watch this. We're going to look at verse 2 and then we're going to look at verse 12. Look at verse 2. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptation, knowing this, that the what? That the trying of your faith worketh what? And let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire. Wanting what? Verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that what? All right, just get this in your mind. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the 13 and 30 and 5. Habakkuk chapter 2. Go to Habakkuk chapter 2. And then we're going to go to Malachi. Go to Habakkuk chapter 2. Like I told you, this is a study. If I was preaching, I'd be done already. Habakkuk. You have it, say amen. You got it before me. Habakkuk chapter 2, and look at verse number 2. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, and make it plain upon the tables, that he may run that what? For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end it shall speak. And not lie, though it tarry, what? Wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not, what? Remember, I put on the screen the tarrying time. There's a time, 1843, 1844. Time shall be no longer. If you look at all the time prophecies, look at all of them. Go back and just trace them all down. Trace them all down. They all come down to the specific point for a reason. The favorite verse of all Adventism, 
the pillar and foundation of our faith. Daniel 8.14 says, Unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be what? Why is that? We're Adventists. Go back and read Daniel 8.13. Look at 13. And we're going to stop. Because I can keep going. Look. The angel comes down. Covenant keeping God. Divinity comes in the cloud. He's leading his people. He hands a little book in his hand. Time shall be no longer. And he gives these, these, these prophetic times that lead us to a particular point. And there's a blessing in this 1335. And notice what it says again. Verse 13. Then I heard one saint speaking. And another saint said unto that certain saint which spake. How long shall be the vision concerning the daily? And the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot. Who's the host? Talk to me a little bit. Who's the host? <coughs> Say it again. It's God's people. Look up there. Look at, look at verse number 24. Same chapter. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully and shall prosper and practice and destroy the mighty and what? The question is, under 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. God gives an answer. How long are the people supposed to be persecuted? Until the cleansing of the sanctuary. When the sanctuary is supposed to be cleansed, that's when God's people are supposed to have victory. You're not listening to me. When the sanctuary is cleansed, what is it that separates man from God? Do you believe that? You see, when he went to the most holy place and he begins to cleanse the sanctuary, he is removing the one thing that is hindering God from dealing with the one that has been persecuting and prosecuting the people of God. He's been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And he still waits. Listen to me, friends. I don't like preaching. I don't like coming to church every week and knowing that there are people out there being molested. Right now, while we're sitting in church in comfy pews, there's the people out there in the world that are fighting amongst themselves, taking drugs right now. Right now. We have the only message that can end it. No one is preaching that Jesus is in the most holy place. No one is preaching that he is removing sin from the most holy place and he can remove it from you and I right now, today. No one else is doing it. I'm a seven-day Adventist. I believe in the power of Jesus to remove sin from his own creation. And I believe that this covenant-keeping God... Let me see. I'm going to show you something. I'll pass all these. Pass this. There's a covenant keeping God. And I want you to see what the prophet tells us. 
Keep playing, brother. She says something very special about us. Notice what she says here. God has called his church in this day. As he called what? Didn't we see that from the Bible? To stand as a light in the earth. By the mighty cleaver of truth. The messages of the first, second, and third angels. He has separated them from the churches and from the what? From the world. To bring them into sacred nearness to himself. That's Revelation 10. That's an angel coming down with the covenant, giving it to John. He has made them the dispositaries of his law and has committed to them the great truths of prophecy for this time. Like the holy oracles committed to ancient Israel, these are the sacred trusts to be committed to the, communicated to the world. Like God came down to Moses, Moses, here is the law. God came down in an angel form, said, here, here's my law, here's my covenant. Will you please tell the world that I'm about to deal with sin? I'm about to make all those wrongs right. Will you please tell the world? These three angels represent the people who accept the light of God's messages and go forth as his agents to sound the warning throughout the length and breadth of the earth. Christ declares to his followers, ye are the light of the world. To every soul that accepts Jesus, the cross of Calvary speaks. Behold the worth of the soul. Go ye into the world and preach the gospel every creature. Why can't you go in the world? Because he owns it. His feet are on the right, on the earth, and his feet are on the water. Go, go to the world. It is the all-important work for this time. It is to be far-reaching as eternity. The love that Jesus manifested for the souls of men and the sacrifice which he made for their redemption will actuate every follower. No one else can preach this message. No one else will preach this message. And those who even preach as Seventh-day Adventist ministers are saying, I don't want to preach it anymore. It's an arrogant thought. It's an arrogant message. It's not biblical. It has no faith, no foundation. But God himself has given us this message. And I'm asking you, I'm begging you, I'm going to stop talking. It's the all-important work. The all-important work. The all-important work. The all-important work. Father in heaven, 
I see it right now. The angel in Revelation 10 coming down to this building, to this place. With the book in his hand. And we have a choice to make with that book right now. Will we take the book? Will we eat the book? Will we endure the bitter experience? Or will we be comfortable with the things of this world? Father, it's the all-important work. And we are so weak. Father, it's the all-important work, but other things are so much more important in our minds. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. And tonight you've heard the message. And tonight you want to commit yourself to the all-important work of spreading these three angels. The all-important work. Nothing else is more important. You've heard this message tonight and you want to make that decision to make this the all-important work in your life. Not only in theory, but in reality, in the practice of these messages. If that's your decision tonight, I just ask that you stand with me. Father, you see each one standing here this morning or this evening. We want, we want to be used, Lord. We want to end this sin problem. Please use us. Preach is not going to do it. We're going to have to love. And we're going to have to sacrifice. We're going to have to give the shirt off our back, the house, the car, the clothes, everything, Lord. Everything. We have to give. And it's not in us. It's not in us. It's not in us, Lord. Please help us. Please help us. The world is dying. It's getting crazy. The Spirit of God is being withdrawn. Father, we don't want it to be withdrawn from us. Please come close to us. Teach us, Lord, how to take the book, how to eat the book, how to share it. We have nowhere else to go. There is no other hope. Please. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. And we claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. <laughs> Amen.